0: All right, guys, welcome to the Self Love Effect podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Toppings, and this is episode 38. This is, I consider this to be a very special episode in particular, um, and mostly because this amazing family has a heart of warriors, um, they have inspired so many of us, not just the street parking community, but every single individual that lands on their page. I have with me today, the Dexter family, Aaron and Chris Dexter. They are the parents of Alex, the Alex Strong Foundation. These two individuals constantly on a daily basis are really have built a legacy so they're so Alex is never forgotten and we come together um to to do this wad in memorial of him but really also so they can tell his story they could tell their story as parents and hopefully to bring awareness to bring some sort of like to help others get through tough times and to make others feel like they're not alone because lots of times we tend to forget sometimes as humans that maybe someone isn't going through the same thing we are, or we have it worse when in reality, we're all living in this world together and all of us are going through obstacles, maybe a little bit different, but we all feel the same things, right? We all feel these strong emotions. Um, and, and in times of, of worry and of, of grieving of mourning. So, um, I, I can't wait to get into this episode, but before I speak any further, I want you guys to close your eyes and repeat after me. I choose now. I choose to live in only moment where there is life, the present moment. I choose to let go of my painful change to the past and to instead let the present determine my future. I choose to live in love right here, right now. I choose to slow down enough to connect with the gift I'm given in this moment. I choose to be here. Now there is nowhere else I would be. I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. All right. So I'm going to hand over the floor because everyone knows I can chat and continuously talk and talk, but it's not about me. It's about Alex and sharing his story. So I'm going to hand it over to his father, Chris, Chris, wherever you feel most comfortable to start and, you know, tell us about Alex because I'm over here freaking out about these Alex presses because they <laughs> will see how I feel tomorrow. I particularly yeah, wanted fun. to wait until you guys decide on a date for the podcast. Cause I'm like, I'm going to do it before we record. And I died. So, uh, eight rounds, <laughs> I don't know, eight rounds times 20 of those Alex presses. I oh. literally thought I said push press and I was like, Oh, what's an Alex press. And I was like, Oh my God. Right. Yep. Done. So thank yeah. you for joining us on the self-love effect. And I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Well, uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> the Alex presses. Oh, You know, it's one of those things when you're programming a workout and you're like, okay, I have to, because when I thought about this workout, it's like, you know, a lot of workouts are based on specific numbers and eight,
2: 25, 20, the day he passed away. Um, super
1: impactful so i'm like okay we got to figure out something with this and i wanted alex loved dumbbells like i don't know if you've watched some of my videos yeah ig posts you see him in the background and he's like doing snatches with (laughs) this like wooden dumbbell um so work had to have that and uh i'd always you know devil presses right yeah yeah I have struggled with that movement. But so one day I saw like Josh Bridges. I was watching like his, you know, YouTube thing and he's doing single arm devil presses. I'm like, dude, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Double? I hate the double. So that inspired the Alex press. So it's, you know, it's not a snatch. It's a, a burpee and a clean and a jerk. And when you're only doing one arm, you can load it up pretty heavy. Like you said, you did 35. So yeah. That's <laughs> a savage right there. Cause I, you know, I did fifties and I, I'm a little guy. I'm only like 150 pounds, but I can do that. But if I were to do like two dumbbells, two 50 pounders. Destroy.
0: Yeah. It. <laughs> yeah um, when I was, it's, when you try to do it as a fluid movement, yeah. totally cheating yourself out because when you actually take the time to clean it and then stop and then press up, it's so taxing. You feel right. the whole difference. Like you could go ahead and the fluid, you know, a burpee into a full on snatch yeah. and it feels so easy. But then when you're stopping and then pre- you're like, oh my gosh, is it right, when's when 20- you,
1: you go to that you set up for the jerk part of it and then it hits yeah. your abs. Yeah. And you're yeah. sucking wind and you're
0: like, <laughs> every time I hit nine, I'm like, am I almost at twenty?
1: Right. And, and then like, you no. get you get like four or five rounds through, and you're like, oh man, 20 yeah. minutes gone by, or like 15. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah, I'm you like, I'm gonna start four, rounds, four but... more rounds. Yeah. I'm oh like,
1: <laughs> but yeah, so I did that last year I did that workout yeah. quite a few times, like testing it and stuff. And um, it didn't feel as hard as this year. I, I don't know why, maybe like, you know, it's like, I don't know. We got like some kind of cold in our house, got tested, wasn't yeah. COVID. <laughs> but Seriously, like, and we're vaccinated, you know, so we're yeah. like, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, we all tested, you know, negative. But who knows? But anyway, that's beside the point. But it kind of, whatever we had affected our lungs. And so that workout, because we did it. So we did it on the 25th, on the anniversary. Aaron took off work. Um, and I remember last year I did it in a vest, a weighted vest the last time. Oh my gosh. So I was like, I don't care if my lungs are like not a hundred percent. I'm going to do it anyway, you know, because I'm stupid. (laughs) So I threw on the vest and we did the workout and it took me, I don't know, like 35 minutes or something, but uh, definitely lightheaded. We live in Georgia, so it's humid. And uh, right after that, no, we went after that workout. We were like, okay, we need to get something to eat got something to eat for lunch, and then went and donated blood. I was seriously worried that if I, like, went right after the workout, (laughs) you got to donate blood, then I'm going to pass out. Yeah, for sure. I don't pass out, right, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But, uh,
1: yeah, and then we also, we had our meetup here in town. Um, There's, like, a university that's right down the road has like an outdoor amphitheater so it's like turf and it's kind of shaded and the only thing is it's kind of like down in a bowl
0: uh, okay okay so the
1: breeze just goes
0: yeah m- misses you guys right and
1: so I donated blood on Wednesday did the workout without the vest but still with the 50 pound dumbbell on Saturday and that was I think I had like the same time thirty-five <laughs> minutes. but
0: well it is a tough
1: workout right and I hope it's not too tough and I tell everybody that I work out with and that does it with me I'm like don't kill yourself if you can't do you know a burpee with the dumbbell that's fine you can either do like just burpees or you can take the burpee out which you take the burpee out and then it's pretty Mm -hmm. manageable
2: yeah
1: it's just do like a full clean and a jerk and then you switch. But, you know, I say it's manageable and there were people that were dying off the workout and they didn't do the burpee part.
0: Yeah. But I feel like Memorial wads are one of those wads that you kind of, you don't, you don't, you know, there's no time frame. You just right. grind it out because right. in reality, the whole point is to the
2: remember reflect. that
0: person. Yeah. yeah. They're reflecting and he went through a lot. I mean, he's a child. He is a child. And to just reflect on not just, you know, him during his happy moments, but him during his tough moments and kind of not putting yourself in that shoes, but kind of in a way, that's why that workout is hard. And and it's
1: it's supposed to be a mental grind
0: yeah, and
1: to get you to want to quit. Mm-hmm. But know that Alex couldn't quit. Yeah. So you, you're doing this workout in honor of him. You can't quit.
2: Right.
1: So it's yeah. you know, and that's like all the hero workouts, you know. I mean, a lot of people, gosh, what was the one that the 13, fallen 13? I'm I did that like a week ago and I'm still yeah. wrecked. Um
0: Yeah. That one was that that
1: reflection. I want to touch on the reflection because, uh, you know, we, we programmed the Alex strong foundations programmed other workouts, um, to raise awareness and to raise funds. Um, and I don't know if you did the workout chemo, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: the one with you wear the weighted vest, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) all the burpees,
2: all the squats
1: and To me, it's like, I hate to say it, but like that workout, chemo, is probably like my favorite just because during the run, you're hurting for a certain, and there's time to reflect. Mm -hmm.
2: It's not like sometimes, like I feel, Alex's workout is tough so tough
1: that it's hard to reflect (laughs) for me. But then chemo had the run in it and runnings. I'm a little guy running's easy for me, even in a vest. So that was the time to reflect and to try to push harder. Um, So yeah, the reflection is huge. Um, And it it puts you in the right mindset and, you know, you like you were touched on, you, it's a hero workout. I'm not going to cut any shortcuts. I'm going to be here as long as it takes.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah. It might Maybe. take an hour, but I don't, that chemo looked hard on paper. And I was like, it's going to be hard um, <laughs> when you get to doing it. And it was, <laughs> I mean, just, yeah. But, yeah, but, um, so tell us, I, I want to, well, I don't know. Who wants to share? But you know, for our listeners who don't know, who aren't street parking members, um, you know, give us a little bit of more of an insight on, you know, Alex's story.
1: Okay. Um, well, <laughs> started off, uh, you know, he was pretty normal. Like at, when he was born, he was normal, nothing.
2: Pretty normal. <laughs> Pretty normal. <laughs> like, I say that. I say that because
1: I say that because he was, as he got like six months or whatever, he was kind of fussy, but yeah. you didn't think anything of it, and I don't think there's any correlation there. Um, but well, how old was he? Like, Is it... About nine months when we went to the beach. Uh-huh. Yeah, he was
3: nine and a half months. I was like a month before diagnosis. And he was diagnosed with ten
1: and a half months. Right. He was started to be <laughs> a little bit more
2: irritable.
1: Irritable. But at that age
2: There's getting,
1: getting teeth. You know. Right, right. And uh so we're kind of just like, oh, he's just getting teeth. And then a couple weeks later you started your uh
2: fellowship and
3: that was an hour commute on the road or more like an hour and a half for me each way each day so I was gone for a considerable amount of time Mm -hmm. so he went from having me around as a primary food source to a poor transition into solid foods with teething and he, he was a little bit of a mama's boy and just the not having me there too and he started to He's, just be more increasingly irritable um
1: which we were chalking up to all of these other things right, right. right?
3: and they were and starting school and he was starting mother's day out and so just like right now we've had our littles in and out of mother's day out because of the multiple infections C C yeah, DNA, yeah. Next week, next kind of thing and he was having a little bit of that too and so we Thought, well, he's just, he's irritable because of that. He's irritable because of this. But then he just started to really look different to me. I
1: I remember one of the days when I was, you know, watching him, I'm like,
2: he, he fell asleep playing. And I have a picture. He's
1: sleeping on the floor. And you're like, I mean, I have, never had a child do that, you know, yeah. and it was within the next couple of days, we were like something. She, Mama, mama, Aaron. Instinct. Yes. Was like, something is wrong, something big. And I'm like,
0: oh, he's fine, you know, you know,
1: so.
3: And we were kind of debating between taking him in right before Labor Day weekend. And I sat down with him at night one night. And I was just like, something is really wrong and I don't, I can't put my finger on it. And I had my little running diagnostic list in my head and I knew what I could scratch off, but I didn't know what I was missing. And I said, this has been oncoming so slow that I know, I don't think there's a difference between us running in right now tonight versus waiting until tomorrow, but he's got to go in. And so we called to find out when the, knowing that Monday would be a holiday, when the early bird clinic for the acute appointments was and that was kind of our last opportunity for the next four days so if we didn't get him in that day it was going to be a minute um but that morning i went to work in columbia just like anything because when you woke up at the beginning of the day like anybody if you're really sick and your body's failing you you feel your best in the morning um, and then throughout the day it wears you out you feel fatigued and worse you need that sleep and so when you woke up the next day it was almost like he looked like a different kid than the night before when I was kind of yeah, in, was, in my head to where night. I was like, maybe I am just crazy and he's fine. And then we both decided, no, 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 take him in anyways. But I said, I'll go to work. Everything will be okay. If I go to work. It'll be fine.
1: And we were at that time, we were under the assumption that he had a bowel obstruction.
3: That was only right? because, because of the degree of pain and his belly was looking larger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we were like, oh, maybe there's some buildup, you know, like, and I will. Oh, man. So <laughs> I took Alex into the clinic. and I have Matthew, our, how old was Matthew at the time? Two. Two. So I have a two-year-old and 10-month-old. And he had, all, Alex had also, like, we can't forget about the, the bruise.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He had a bruise under his eye,
2: over. which
3: but it was like a strange bruise, like over almost like somebody had put this very dramatic dark eyeshadow right in the yeah. inner corner of his eye,
1: and we thought and that, it
3: didn't really ugh. dawn on. I mean, kids fall, and it appeared while he was at Mother's Day out one day, and so they were so apologetic and like we don't know where, when this came up or how it happened. We don't. We didn't see anything happen.
1: Yeah, and I thought that he was. Cause we have older children and we thought that one of our kids was putting them on the rocking horse, holding them. Yeah. And they accidentally like, you know, missed and it looked like he just yeah. popped his eye on the little handle. So anyway, take Alex in and I have Matthew and his pediatrician comes in and we start talking about things and she's like, something's not right like this is she didn't she was trying not to
3: look panicked, look
1: panicked but next thing i know you, you know usually when you go to the doctor's office it's like they go and then they disappear for like what seems to be an hour <laughs> yeah <laughs> so she disappeared and then came back and there was another doctor who i never met and he's like oh my gosh i think this Boy has neuroblastoma and he's like, we need to get you down to the ED ASAP. So here I am, I got holding on to Maddie in one arm and then talking to our doctor. And as we're talking over things and he's telling me to go down to the ED or ER or whatever you want to call it now, uh, a gurney, like a stretcher or whatever comes up behind us. And that's when it really hit. And I'm, I called up you, like, before the, the stretcher came. And it. next thing, I, it, that was, a wor- from then, the rest of the day was just crazy. So we go down to the ED.
3: And meanwhile, I'm... On the road, I like dropped everything and left. Hour away. Work. And it was a little over an hour away, but I wound up making it back to the hospital in about 40, 45 minutes, I think, and utilized the time and route to call both sets of our parents and to call first our close friends, one of whom was a nurse working in the hospital. And I was like, we don't know what's wrong with Alex. Chris is in the hospital. They're going to the ED. He's got Matthew. The two year old doesn't need to be a part of this. I don't know what's happening. Can you go grab him? Yeah. And basically one of Maddie's godparents and she's like, I got him. Don't even worry about it. So she met Chris over <laughs> in the ER and was able to grab Maddie and at least take that, um, wild card out of the equation. Yeah.
1: So then once we were down in the ED, they started to do, uh, bedside, um, scans, bedside scans. They couldn't really tell much cause they, they were trying to find out like, is this cancer? What is this? Is obstruction? Um, <laughs> yeah. So then they send Alex and I up to ultrasound. I think it was.
3: Yeah, to imaging.
2: And that's when it kind of became real, because you know the ultrasound,
1: like the neuroblastoma, it comes from, it starts from the adrenal gland right above. The kidney and as they're you know doing their scans and they see that it is coming out of what appears to be the adrenal gland like they can't even tell that there's an adrenal gland there at that time I think it was just like one doctor put it obliterated um and they're like I I think it is neuroblastoma and They're like, but there's possibility it could be like Wilm's tumor, you know, and you're like, okay, so my kid has cancer. And I remember it's kind of ironic, or you know, but when I was in college, I had to write a paper on neuroblastoma. And I remember all the bad things that come with that diagnosis. And my mind is just. I, I don't even know what to think. I, I was just scared kind of because Aaron's still not there. And then as soon as they bring us down, or take us out of the room and we're going to the elevator, right? Yeah, and you met way. us right at the elevator and it was just, I think he's got cancer and it's neuroblastoma and you just lose it. And after that, I don't even remember really the rest of the day.
3: You? I mean, it was, it was a whirlwind. I had just finished up residency at that hospital. So I immediately called the chairman of my right, yep. immediate past uh, department and said, I need you to get me the chair of whoever's ever peeds Hemonk because we need whoever the best person is on this case. Yeah. We don't know what this is or where this is headed. So he got off the phone with me, got some names and numbers and made some phone calls and then um, the doctor who was on call to take any new admissions and things that popped up that week was the one that was recommended anyways out of that group. who was kind of the um, young leader in solid tumors and children. So he's, he was kind of who everybody said that that's who you're going to want in that department. If not that there was one other doc, but she really focused more on leukemia. So we were like, all right, well then I guess we got the team we need. And the surgeon who Chris, First met upstairs right. in the clinic and expeditiously wanted them
1: to Oh the ER. gosh, yeah, right. That was the first time I'd like heard that word.
3: And he just kept saying and it. And he kept and over saying it, and I'm
1: like, well, all right, like <laughs> expeditiously it is. Um, but he ended up like at after like getting to know him, he a wonderful doctor and uh, like a superhero of a doctor. Um, he does so many amazing
3: things. Great things, yeah, yeah. Was fantastic. And we really, I mean, we, we fell into having the A-team for that hospital, I think, and for Alex's diagnosis in our situation. But there we were Labor Day weekend and Alex approaching one year and you're sitting in the hospital just right. waiting for, when's the biopsy? How soon are we going back for abort? And when do you put us on the books for chemo? Yeah. We didn't have a definitive diagnosis, but they asked us, Do you want to go ahead and start chemo? Because the way this looks, you want to go ahead and start chemo right away. Any delay could be
2: right.
3: a life or death difference. And so it didn't, there were decisions to be made that hardly felt like decisions, and I wouldn't make them differently, anyways. But unbeknownst yeah. to us, as the studies started to come back, unfortunately for Al, every single test that came back, came back stacked against him in right. the cards. So it was like, first you've got the bad diagnosis, then you've got the advanced stage of the diagnosis, then you've got the high risk version, then you've got the worst genetic mutation of the high risk mutations that you can have. But he, as soon as they started chemo, it was, it was just incredible to see how much he lightened up right. and looked so good. And we were like, what does chemo look like in a baby? It was terrifying to think of. Yeah your your, infant, your child going through chemotherapy, you know how bad it is for an adult. And they all assured mm-hmm. us, oh no, no, you'd be shocked. The kids handle it so much better than adults, which was um well it's nonetheless disturbing <laughs> to have your kid have to go through that. It was very true, like he handled it like a superstar. Um and made it through that first hospitalization for the most yeah. part pretty and well. Then- but we're Our family, of course, came into town. They were all out of town to help support and kind of took turns doing that. We had to come home and tell the kids. And here we hadn't even really had a serious issue with like a grandparent battling cancer or anything like that. And we're sitting down our four older children to tell them your baby brother has cancer. And I think at that point, what they knew of cancer was maybe friends, grandparents or people dying of cancer. And so they were all tears. And does that mean Alex is going to die? What does that mean? And so you're struggling with, well, he could, but he's not. We're going right. to, we're in this together. We're all going to be okay. I
1: remember being in the car that to go get
3: Panda Express Chinese. Yes. Food, and then we ate it <laughs> upstairs in the loft. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why we we're eating in the loft.
1: I, I mean, our kids, you couldn't ask for any better throughout. All of this, all I gotta say is they are super resilient. And- Alex had
3: the A team on the inside of the hospital exactly. and the outside of the hospital, yeah. which made it somewhat better, um, as, as good as you can. But we quickly realized going through it and knowing his diagnosis, and me having just enough medical knowledge about that realm that to do you more of a disservice than service, and so I knew that. Prognostic indications of some of the things that were coming back. And it's just devastating. Yeah. Because you kind of know.
1: Oh, man. Before you know. So, like going back to that first hospitalization, family came in town, or maybe it was the kids went to go stay at a friend's or whatever. But so the two of us were able to be at the hospital at night at the same time. And
2: I remember waking up and Aaron's just crying, you know,
1: which I mean, it's completely reasonable. And I don't remember if you told me what you were doing or what, but you, she was looking up what Alex had and realizing, the gravity of the situation and what we were up against.
3: When I kind of, cause he knew a little about neuroblastoma. I remembered a little bit about neuroblastoma, especially when I saw stuff about the NMIC gene, which is what he had. And I remembered as soon as somebody mentioned that and that testing and how crucial that was, that that was kind of used in, in early, early medical school lectures as like the prototype, horrific mm-hmm. oncogene that there's just, no human battle for it. We don't, we have nothing to to go against that gene. So I remember as soon as I saw that, I was like, Oh crap, I don't want to read anything. It's this isn't going to be helpful. And for me, for anyone, but in the middle of the night when you couldn't sleep and everything was quiet in the ICU, things had finally calmed down. We spoke with the surgeons. They came in and were so patient. And um, A acquaintance from our kids school came in. He was the PICU attending that night and went through scans with us some more. So once we saw it all and I still couldn't sleep, I went ahead and Googled it on my phone to get somewhat more of a sense. And that's when you realize I just, there's something that just sunk in my chest. I knew he had, and I didn't have a doubt in my mind. So I wondered how does that change the game? Well, neuroblastoma survival rate at five years without an amplification is 80%. With it, it's 50 or slightly under. So it's a coin toss. It's literally about a coin toss whether or not you're going to win that battle long term, short term. With
1: NMIC, they haven't made
3: significant progress, significant. even in our lifetimes. It's been like dismal at best. And even now, I was just looking things up last night and articles within the last two, three years that are more recent, where they're really starting to investigate more targeted, individualized cancer therapies in kids. Um, that's one they still haven't seemingly touched they highlighted a lot of things about neuroblastoma and all the different genes that can be amplified in that particular diagnosis and they mention it and that what a bad prognostic factor it is and use that as a comparative to some of these others but they didn't talk about any Mm. target for it so i think it's still a struggle in the field as a whole but it just hits you once it's quiet and there's nobody no other distractions and you just talk about it but you just, and pretty quick, we realized too, like we have, you got to put your game face on for the kids right. and keep everyone else going, the grandparents, everybody, because everyone around you is devastated for them, for him, for you.
2: Right.
3: And so that was when we kind of adopted the mentality. He's a, he's a hero. He's got all of us and today's cool. a gift. We're not going to take anything for granted. And once this is all behind us and he's past it. We got to pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the outset of his diagnosis. And really, he, once the NMIC test came back the day before he was released,
1: it was like September
3: 16th, 16th. Because I sat for boards on September 17th. And I wanted to know before I sat on my board.
1: Yeah, can you imagine? She's taking her medical boards while this is all going on.
3: Yeah. It was such and she had been
1: studying like months in advance. And I'm then
3: sure. this I like am procrastinate, so I really hadn't started studying before all this went down, maybe for about a week at most. Yeah. So there was also this, this was my cram time. And then this, mm. three weeks from my test date. And our oncologist, a lot of people advised me not to sit for that board because of the mindset that I must be in.
0: Right.
3: And my, the Alex's oncologist said he didn't really want to share with us the outcome of the genetics until after I sat for boards. And I was like, I'm sitting for boards because how do I know next year's not going to be worse than today? A and B. I need you to know just- because I already think I know, and either you're going to confirm and sort of quiet the angst about it. By just confirming it, or best case scenario, you tell me I'm wrong, and that would be game changing. So, I just need to know. So, he told us, and I went off and took boards, which then you don't find out for three months if you passed. And thankfully, (laughs) that was like a true Christmas miracle. And get us in December, we we got got so drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so after I came back, because that's like an eight hour test where you're just doing questions for hours and hours, Um, my head. I was like done. And when I got back, they surprised me with you're going home today. And this was the first time we're stepping foot out of the hospital inpatient environment with a baby who has a port in his chest. who has got to have dressing changes. who's on all these prophylactic and anti-nausea meds and so many different things that were all brand new and having to get shots after his chemo for bone Um, marrow.
2: So it
3: was kind of like, when I heard we were going home, part of you is like ecstatic for going home. The other part of me was so like mentally and emotionally drained and like today, not tomorrow. <laughs> okay. But we made it home and it was, it was good. It was just to get Alex every time we got him out of the hospital. Oh, he, he was
1: a different child. Like, as soon as you got him home, so happy, like, so glad to be around everybody. Every, hospitalization. And we had to pretty much every cycle of chemo, we had to do it inpatient in the hospital. So he's there for five days, majority of the time, and every time we get home, so happy.
0: His and, comfort zone.
1: Right. And even like, you know, you can't imagine how crappy he felt from five days of infusions.
2: Right.
1: He would have so much energy and play with the kids. For hours, and even when we got home one time, and it was like almost midnight, he still stayed up, and, <laughs>
2: uh, and he was watching National Geographic. Yeah, lions. we
1: were watching <laughs> National Geographic lions because he liked lions. And he, ah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: cute. And he,
3: he really rolled through all of it. A lot of, some diagnoses, you're stuck in the hospital for six months at a time without fail, and you're just there. Thank goodness the nature of his illness and how well he dealt with the treatment. Every time we weren't getting an infusion, we were basically able to get him out of there immediately and back home. We had a few bounce backs where he'd get a fever at home and we'd have to go back in for a rule out this and rule out that. And those were pretty brief, and they were few and far between. So like the structure of
1: his treatment was well, there was five cycles of what is it called the first therapy induction five cycles of induction therapy but once we found out that he was high risk we had already done one cycle but it was
3: not the right not cocktail. the right cocktail <sighs>
1: So Give
3: a phone.
1: he had to get five more. So, well, so a total of six. Mm-hmm. And after the f- fifth total, he had surgery, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So he had, so Not they had
3: without a brief pneumonia, which came at just the right time. He was, yeah. sketch, he was scheduled for surgery on the day before Christmas Eve. And because this was a huge and very invasive procedure, he was absolutely going to be in the hospital for Christmas Eve and Christmas day. But with the nature of his diagnosis they were like we're so sorry guys but you make sacrifices now so he can have christmases to come and we were just dedicated to this idea of like, yeah. our other four kids being at home and not right. being able to have christmas and then lo and behold he pops a fever in we go and it looked like he had a pneumonia so as bad as all that is in between he wound up getting treated and getting discharged back home before christmas so we were home for christmas right. and new year's and had to take a breather before they could go to the or after the infection So he wound up going back january 7th instead so it was kind of in hindsight a complete blessing in disguise that he yeah. got an infection and we were able to
1: Spend Christmas at home. It was a really good Christmas.
3: Visit. So it was mm-hmm. good for us, good for all the kids. Great for him. Um, Christmas <laughs> that, before that was a wash. Everybody had hand-putting. Oh, my do. gosh. <laughs> oh, uh, no that pressure. was the worst. That was bad. That we was so were, I was
1: about to have a party for, because I used to train out of my garage. And <laughs> we are going to have a Christmas party for all of them and you know the year before that it was really fun but the day of matthew develops like these weird so sewing...
3: disgusting sores <laughs> all over like... oh my
2: gosh
1: <laughs> yeah so that christmas they canceled the party that christmas everybody's like kind of like itching their hands oh, right. and, like i never got any blisters but my hands are right. itchy af and Oh, and the kids are, did the bigger kids get it on their face?
3: I think some, someone did. I think they Ethan did.
1: Because Ethan, Ethan was like, Ethan's the, the youngest of the older three.
3: And um. Alex had some. So this was Alex's first Christmas. He's like two and a half months old. And we have no <laughs> pictures because everybody looked like they had the play. <laughs> and I was like, this is so disgusting. I don't want to remember this. And so we didn't take <laughs> pictures. And at the time... We had a very different view on memories, and things like right, that. Right. But unfortunately, though, we don't have much from that particular Christmas.
2: Uh,
1: yeah, so that. <laughs> Luke wants to join. Oh
0: my gosh! Hey. Hi, <laughs> hi! You're <laughs> <gasps> so cute! Oh my gosh! Oh,
1: look at that so yeah, yeah smile. The... Like Alex's second Christmas was really good and then
3: surgery went like surgery like went magic. really well um, and we were rolling through the uh the playoffs for the Chiefs, Super Bowl Chiefs so our Kansas <laughs> City <Chiefs laughs> was doing fantastic and so it was like all the momentum was working for them and for Alex Alex got out and discharged way ahead of schedule like five days earlier than they had projected from his big surgery and I mean, so we got did, to be home his for, the big for game. surgery
1: they it was the tumor removal for so the mass removal
3: and then they also
1: took out his kidney so that's a huge surgery and right his there. The
3: tumor was wrapped around a lot of the major abdominal vessels that surround that area And so they had to go in and just spend hours meticulously dissecting the tumor off of these things. So it was kind of horrendous, but he bounced back just, like, from everything and did great. And then um, we were, like, looking at him. He looked so good. He was recovering, like, freaking Wolverine.
2: Yeah, he was totally Wolverine
3: he went through his last set of chemo before doing the restaging for transplant. And it really looked like we were just kind of rolling through the punches toward transplant and headed down the right path. And he was doing well. His providers were really happy with how he was looking and doing clinically speaking. And at that point they get a whole lot of different um, studies done and they kept coming back. Great. His bone marrow was clear. His liver lesions were gone. His lymph nodes were improved the tumor that they did see when they biopsied the um resected mass the stuff that was still there had changed so neuroblastoma can convert to a non-malignant form and this had Mm -hmm. but everything was super reassuring and we we thought we were looking great and then he needed to have an mibg scan and that's a specific scan for certain types of cancer neuroblastoma being one where the cells pick up this MIBG and they can see anything that has neuroblastoma in it and body will light up. And they score it on a scale from zero to 30, I believe. And you want, no matter what your beginning score is, the goal is to have a score less than two when you go to transplant. If it's not less than two after induction and before transplant, your prognosis again, becomes even that much more dismal than before. Yeah his initial score was like a
1: 13 16. It was it 13 and then they came back and was like no it was actually 16.
3: they came back later his first scan they could they did they screwed up his anesthesia and he was awake so it was blurry and they estimated it was around a 13 and in hindsight looking back at it they called it a 16 i think later but when we got the scan I had a nightmare about this the score going the wrong direction or something really bad happening and I don't remember what number I had in my head I want to say I thought it was a four or something like double that two that you want but when they called us with his result it was like a nine so it was still very high we hadn't made a whole lot of or was it it worse than maybe that was no it was it was worse so that was the 16.
1: Yeah. And you're like,
3: he came down to nine after ice. I think maybe. Um, so, so that was devastating. They called the, we were supposed to leave for transplant the following Tuesday. This was a, which would have been
1: in Atlanta
3: Thursday. We were planning our whole lives for me and him initially to move up to Atlanta for transplant and like how we were going to switch out and what that was going to look like and getting organized. And you find out like, Five, six days before you're supposed to be in Atlanta, that they're pulling the plug and you're headed down another path and they're not sure exactly what that is expected to look like. Right, right. We did that, got admitted to the PICU. PICU. It's just very eventful. And that therapy is. Well,
1: because they admitted horrible. us to the PICU to do immunotherapy. immunotherapy.
3: Yeah, it's, it's part of a chemotherapy with immunotherapy, like a biologic that um, is more specific to that treatment or to that diagnosis. But it was it's much more intense. They have to keep you in the PICU because of the risk of side effects of the medication alone. It can be extremely painful for the patient for so sometimes. They, well, they not sometimes. They almost always have to run um, infusions of morphine or similar.
2: No, 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 no.
3: So, we did all of that, got in there, and essentially, in trying to figure out how to maintain his pain management, he got some really heavy doses of opiate and wound up having to be intubated and put on high flow oxygen and just all kinds of other stuff that wasn't supposed to happen. And he was like just a hundred in terrible shape. And so, I lost it. It was stressful. It was, we were all just like, how did everything look like we were going the right way and now we're here. And then during that same stay in the PICU, as things were just very bad, the oncologist came in a week after he delivered the bad news about the MIBG score going up rather than down dramatically. He comes in and says, that they had done scans of the head because they were trying to figure out with the score going up where all was this, because there was some mm. indication they saw some things around the spine that made them worry that they should get head scans, which he had not had to date. And sure enough, when they did, they found out there was just neuroblastoma diffusely around his brain. And they called it candy sugar coating. I think they called it sugar coating his spine, which is when they can see this perfect little um light up of tumor going straight down the spine. So he had diffuse what they call leptomeningeal spread. So then we're back on Google and trying to figure out what does this mean? Even the therapy we were currently in that's so painful and rigorous and difficult doesn't combat that. It doesn't get across yeah. the blood-brain barrier. There's very few cancer treatments that do. And the ones that do, that's where the high dose ice programming and chemo workouts that did came from. So high-dose ice is a, a chemo that even in adults, it'll it'll nearly put an adult as close to death as they're going to get before turning around, because it's so such a rigorous, difficult chemo. And so we did a cycle of that, being that that was about the only thing that can combat this neuroleptomeningeal spread. And we've been trying and hoping to get up to New York, where they treat these aggressive super aggressive neuroblastomas and treatment refractory and we're kind of on the list and it's the end of february we're two weeks away from saint patty's day and covid has just made its presence known on all of us and here we're trying to get to none other than new york city so our conversations with them quickly changed from we can't have you come up here for a consult but let's see what we can do there and how many cycles of what reassessing it as we go yeah. so we're kind of thrown into that sort of trajectory ice therapy really though oh, man. as horrible as the treatment was and he act that finally made him actually feel the nausea vomiting chemo and severe diarrhea mucositis you, you name it he just it was bad he had permanent hearing loss from it he had cardiac abnormalities during during it he had Permanent kidney damage to the one remaining kidney. So it was, and it's got a lifetime ceiling of like three. Maybe some cowboy providers would go four at the most. So we did two cycles of it, redid imaging, and that actually brought his MIBG down considerably from like the 15, 16 yeah. to, to nine. So he came down and made like vast improvement. But you can only do so much of that because it's so yeah. hard on the body. So we kept talking to, to sloan kettering they were continuing to give us some different options and ideas and said go ahead and do more of that immunotherapy in the PICU, then do this then do that so we went through a shuffle of those kinds of things and come summer he was really looking good he looked yeah. fantastic he was still growing developmentally right on par despite all of this that he'd been going through and we were trying to get his scans all coordinated to do a final pre-consult assessment to get us up to New York as things had calmed down in late spring up in, in the New York City area. But because COVID here was an issue, trying to coordinate scans was impossible.
2: Right. And
3: long story short, because things got... just dis- discombobulated we wound up with a three-week vacation from all cancer treatment he wasn't getting chemo the scans couldn't get done sooner than that and so we sort of had the fourth of july period and a week or two before that to basically just hang out in the summer right. at home it's covid no one's going anywhere no one's seeing anybody he's in the throes of the most important part of his care if we're going to get him anywhere with this, so we just hung out at home and had good times
1: yeah we did have we had good
2: and
3: times he was happy and doing really well and the only thing I mentioned when we came in for one of our weekly visits for a dressing change during all that, we noticed he was starting to be a little bit more irritable and wake up more at night. He just seemed harder to go to sleep and stay asleep than he had been. And that was something we had noted when he was first diagnosed. So that was a little disconcerting. For and, July. and we said, are you sure you don't want to get more head scans? Are you sure? And we were reassured by his team, like, no, there's just no reason to do that right now. It's fine. It's probably teething." which is what we said prior to diagnosis too, right. Fourth of July was strange. He usually liked me in in the midst of everything with everyone. And once the fireworks really started going off, he just was beside himself and so sad and irritable and just wanted to go in. He wanted to see it. So I went up and the nursery overlooked the front where we did our fireworks. Mm -hmm. So I went up to his room and then Matthew totally out of the blue, like not Maddie at all. He had been out there running all night, having a blast. And when he saw me take Alex in, he goes, I'll come in with you guys. I'm going to watch from the window, which was so sweet. So he came up and sat in the window with us in the nursery and watched the 4th of July fireworks. And poor little Al just you could tell he didn't feel good. A week later, he finally went to get one of those last scans done. And after the scan, they do go under general for that. We got home that night and he popped a fever. And in the midst of it, for a split second, he looked bad like really really bad do you remember that i was no. sitting on the sofa with him and i was like look at it doesn't he look terrible and you were like that's weird and it was out of nowhere
2: it was just I this... it out. I don't...
3: he it was very brief and once he kind of came back to he seemed he... his color restored and he looked better but he like went almost gray and his eyes were rolling back he just looked horrible and had spiked a low-grade fever but then the fe- and i called the oncologist and he said It's only an hour after general. Let's keep a close eye. And if it doesn't go away by X, Y, Z, go ahead and bring it So we went ahead and checked again and sure enough, thankfully it had gone away. So we went about our evening, put him to bed all was well, but the next day the fever came back and it was much higher. And then we brought him in. And at that point, um, they had to do a workup to find out what was going on to cause the infection. He was had full blown like sepsis type picture. His, heart rate and blood pressure, respiratory rate, high fevers. He was one sick baby and he and I had to spend the night in the UV. I didn't even want our door being opened because the hospital was overcrowding with COVID and I'm here with him. And so I needed help. but didn't have a call button that worked in our room. And I was terrified frankly to open that door knowing what all was on the outside. Um, So once we finally got in, they found that he had the central line infection and we got to treating that. Eventually we found out that he had multiple bugs, so they decided to pull the central line. So he had another trip to the OR to get that out, put in a different type of line, put that in. Then they scan it. That was twisted into a knot. They miraculously got it out. And we finally had plans about going up to New York, kind of seemingly like they were falling into place. Conversations were being had, scans were gonna get done, all of that. And then one afternoon after we'd been in the hospital for two weeks, two and a half weeks, I think, I was with him in the morning, he was fine. We went out by the fountain with our older kids and he was having a ball.
1: Yeah, that was the first hospitalization too, where he he wasn't hooked up to anything. And he was able to go outside.
3: We went and then we swapped. And then when Chris was with them, he tried to give him a bath and things. And he's like, something's just not right. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So he started, he was fussy and like kind of sleepy, you know, that sleepy fussy. I was like, Oh, he just needs a nap. And I kind of got him. took a long time to get him settled down. Finally got him settled down. We're laying in bed and then not, but, 10-15 minutes later he wakes back up and he is still like really irritable and I'm like okay I know kids let's just break this like thought process you know let's distract him so I start up a bath and you know usually the bath time you know it's just a good distraction and he screamed through the whole (laughs) bath and you know finish that up and i'm like thinking there's this he's not right and so we call in the team well they call the nurse and then they bring in was it a student or a resident it wasn't a student i think it was a resident And they're like all decided that maybe he just got soap in his eye because
3: you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, granted,
1: you get soap in your eye. Kids freak out and scream, and right. But so. I forgot about the soap
3: in the eye theory, right?
1: The soap right. in the eye. How ridiculous is that? But whatever. So, continue to think that okay, there's something up, and then Aaron's dad comes in. Did you come yeah. in town at that time? And then yeah. we switched. So we switched again. And so Aaron.
3: Well, we switched. I didn't see my dad that night. You, um, we switched. Because you, so you, you came home stuff. to take a
1: shower. Or something yeah. Like
3: that. And then I had come up for the evening to be with Alex. And my dad was on his way in town. And it was closer to 10 after I'd been there. And I was like, I can't put my finger up, but there's something wrong. And then all of a sudden, when I was looking at his eyes and, and some other things, and he just didn't seem right, the nurse who had had him the nights previous, she and I agreed. And we were like, We need to call the the ICU team. Something's really wrong. And at that point, he was visibly seizing, and they got him down to the ICU. I called Chris. Thankfully, my dad had just come into town. We hadn't had family in town since like March or eighth or February.
1: And the seizures. So, like you say, visually seizing, and it's not like. I don't know.
3: Not like a tonic clinic full body, what people think of when they hear seizure. So to the common layperson or even most doctors who don't do a lot of seizures, you may you not pick up on it right away. But he was doing like an eye deviation where his eyes were locked in place one direction and he was mm. kind of trying certain ways. Just subtle things that it was like, what in the world? And it was definitely, in hindsight, once we got things going, seizures. So we got moved down to the ICU. Chris was able to come up and, and be there during some of the workup of that, and from there it kind of turns into a blur. Basically, after the seizures began, they got it we started had up a again. neurologists
1: came on his case, right?
3: Well, the neurologist team, the neurology team came by that night. And didn't start him on the anticonvulsants. Yeah, they, they were just residents, and I was livid. I felt like he should have been put on something right away. Right, I just had a bad feeling. But come six a.m we were seeing the same cycle of things happen that had happened the day prior. So it's like early in the morning and his surgeon who we came to love, who expeditiously got us down to the ER at the beginning of diagnosis, I called in tears. And I'm like, I'm so sorry to call you at this hour, but I know you're a surgeon you're already awake and I need you to get him to the CT scan like expeditiously. (laughs) So he, um, we got off the phone cause I had already dropped this bomb of somebody get us to a CT scan on multiple trainees and docs and people. And, and there just wasn't the foot on the accelerator that I needed at all. They were all kind of like acted like they were going to wait till rounds, like 10 o'clock, 11 in the morning. And that was when I pulled the, I'm calling a surgeon card. And within 15 minutes he was in the CT scanner. So I'm so glad I did <sighs> the result of that scan once neurology came over was so dramatic. She said she had never seen anything like it. And she just looked at us with this face of kind of hor- horror. And she right. just looked at us she said, I'm just gonna be honest with you, it's horrible. It's horrible. And she said she hoped that it was actually an encephalite, um, some kind of encephalitis on top of tumor spread or a meningitis. Yeah,
1: meningitis.
3: Not just the tumor alone. Because she said, if that's not meningitis with tumor, I've never seen tumor do something like that because we had a scan from three weeks earlier that looked nothing like
2: this. It It was stable stable
3: with some improvement from prior exam. And then this one was so markedly bad. Like She didn't even want to talk to us. She got emotional and had to leave the room the first time or two she tried to talk with us about it. And then the next few days went a blur and essentially we were were given... We
1: finally pinned her... It was like 536. It was about like six or something. And in the evening, because after they did the the CT scan, the results came back. The next she thought that there was a possibility it could be meningitis. So we like we had them do a spinal tap. When they did the spinal, they found out it was clear. And they hadn't told us yet. So it's 6 PM. We're like, where's our neurologist? We want to know.
0: Right.
1: Is it meningitis or is it his cancer? And she finally came in. And,
3: and she said, it's cancer. It's all the cancer. There's nothing left that's treatable otherwise.
2: Right. So... <laughs>
1: I, I remember driving home and I, I don't know if Seb called me or I called him or something and I'm on the phone with him and then I get home and I'm staying outside, but as soon as I pulled up Ethan, he saw me and came outside and I'm like, Hey Seb, I gotta, I gotta go. Like, you know, after we talked for a little bit, and I walk up to the house, and Ethan's like, did you find out? Did you find out? And I'm like, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about this. As soon as I walk in the house, I'm in the kitchen, and there's Ethan, Liam, Charlie, Maddie, Grandpa. So what is it? And I'm like, it's cancer. And then that right there, Charlie starts. She's lost it a little bit. She's like, Alex is gonna die. Alex is gonna die. And then she's, you know, starts saying. I don't know if she was yelling at or whatever. She's just thinking it. She's like, so Alex is gonna die. And then Maddie picks up on this and he's like, Alex isn't going to die. Alex isn't going to die. And they start arguing with each other.
2: And
3: And the older kids are yelling at Maddie and Maddie's insistent and starts yelling at people. Why are you crying? Stop crying. Alex isn't going to die. And I only know secondhand. I was with Alex at the hospital, so I heard it from my dad and Chris. It was just i think at that point i was kind of
1: like i gotta i gotta go work out guys i'll be back in 15 minutes you know i i gotta clear my mind so i went smashed the workout and then came back in because grandpa was there you know and I, i think it had calmed down and we just talked things reasonably but did I, did we switch that night? Was it the next night? The next night. All I can remember from then until well, – like, I don't know if it's all then, but I just remember the night that I – the next night that I was in the hospital in the ICU with him. Was that the –
3: no, I think
1: it was that night. And no, it was the next, because I came in, sorry, this is kind of confusing. It's okay. After that conversation, I think I slept at home and then I came up in the morning.
3: Oh, oh and you met with Dr. And and I met
1: like, with Dr. One of the
3: oncologists. Aaron on the and room. I had
1: talked and we were like, so where do we go from here? And one of Alex's doctors had come in and and was like hey i think we should start ice the and therapy
3: that i had mentioned earlier the yeah. HDI, lifetime three or four right. he's already had two with permanent effects
1: and alex at this point i mean we said he's seizing he's not he's not the alex that
3: and not need. just the seizures But with every seizure, it was like the seizures were the manifestation of that cancer overtaking his brain. And with each set of multiple seizures that weren't even treatable, they were refractory to the drugs they were giving him. And as they would finally remit on their own, he was left with deficits. He, so he, you could just see everything like slowly going more difficult to move, to walk. He would just like lumber forward and couldn't walk without assistance now I and mean, we had a kid that was walking on his own for so long he couldn't he was talking some up to that point i mean he was just sort of two so it, it was not like he was super articulate and verbal but now some yeah. words that he knew before he, he couldn't get them out he was crying he was frustrated he couldn't even eat right he was so irritable because some of those medicines too can make kids oh man really angry for, and irritable. yeah yeah and that was terrifying. He was he
1: was like having a... So we get to that morning.
3: Tasmania in the morning. We get,
1: I come up. One of, one of the doctors had suggested we go to ice. And then Aaron, you left to go home, shower, yeah. recover. And so I'm there with Alex and... Then another, I
3: think they, they all round it. Yeah. Flux between essentially like you've got your kids oncologist and they've got mm-hmm. everybody else in the group who take turns rounding on a weekly and they start on a Monday and cover through that weekend. Okay. His oncologist is at the beach on family vacation and this is happening, which is horrible because it's like the person who you really want their way in the most right. isn't there. And I, had his number, like we had his personal line, he would have picked up at any time, but the last thing you wanna do as a parent with young children too, is call and be like, hey, got a problem for you. So we, we kind of left well enough alone until we knew we needed his insight. The doctor who got to see the initial seizures and all of that was the one who'd been on the week prior with taking care of a central line infection and through that weekend, Monday was the day when we went switch. for the CT scan and everything really started spiraling out of control, and it's also the day they switch. Since that new dog coming on just came into this storm, and the other one had a little bit more hindsight, and his routine oncologist wasn't even in the picture, we got a little bit of everybody.
1: Yeah, which so is
3: probably for the best.
1: So, I remember them coming in and talking, and the this other oncologist was like, it's time to go home. And, you know, we, we always said that uh, when the time was right, we were willing to, to go home. We, we don't want to do more harm than is necessary. And, you know, you kind of, you try to prepare for that moment. I did a lot of reading and soul searching. Um, once we found out that it had spread to his CNS, back in the spring, I started, you know, looking into a bunch of things and reading. And, and then, you know, here we are. <coughs> having it's having the conversation. Having
3: expected to and we we wound up having struggled with this a little bit here and there prior to all this we already kind of knew what our answer was once we had enough time to cool down and reflect on where we've been and where we could be going and what those options look like realistically and looking at al he was in such poor shape within just days yeah. that we were like he's how the likelihood of if we put him through ice First of all, what are we the game? It's never cured him to date and worse, I don't know if he's in any shape to fight that kind all of right, gonna, He's gonna he may up, never come home. Yeah, he's gonna And his older siblings will never see him again. He got swept off in the middle of the night, as per usual, when a fever breaks, always after hours, and his siblings hadn't seen him but at the fountain for
1: brief like ten minutes at a time. Ten minutes
3: at a time for the last two and a half weeks. And now their whole world's being turned up on end and to try to put him in one more battle for whose game. We just, we were like, like that's, that's not like the if, right if thing If it were do. me and I was the one fighting,
1: I wouldn't want
3: no.
1: somebody to put this ice in me, you know?
3: And poison you further. The,
1: the, the thing is like, you know, what you, what you want to think of when you find out that you're incurable or your child's incurable or family members that you got like this bucket list, right? Like these things that you want to do.
2: There's none of that because the can, the reality is the condition that most kids,
1: people are in when they find out you're not leaving home.
2: Right.
1: And you know we just spent the rest of august
3: at home, at home loving on him and preparing for all that was to come and thinking about are really reflecting on where we've been and what has this taught us and what what can we take with us moving forward
2: what can we do and, and that month
1: it was the longest
3: shortest month we'll ever live there you're stuck sitting on a sofa you want to hold him all that you can so we just took turns he just got passed from person to person but when you're holding him he lost all function he couldn't even lift his head he was like having a long newborn that weighed marginally more than a newborn by the time all was said and done
2: and
1: each bath that you would give him. we
3: would just break down and cry because his little body was just because he got to the point away. where
1: he couldn't eat he wanted to eat and he would but he couldn't and you're just watching your child like waste away those last few days it was pretty graphic
2: Like
3: that's so tough and we spent the time while we sat on the sofa holding him and next to each other and with the kids and got Alex Strong well underway, designed yeah. the lion. With- At
1: that point we had we were we were team Alex. Mm-hmm. And
2: you know it was
1: the transition to Alex Strong. You know, what has he taught us? What do we stand for? And little things can make a big difference. You know, you don't need to raise a lot of money, do huge things for people. You can do small things that make the world a difference.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and you know days later everybody was there everybody was in the room even little Maddie who didn't he wanted to be around Alex and he wanted to hold him but that last day he really didn't want to come in our room until it was time.
3: And then he came in without anybody yep. telling him, ushering him. It was like he just knew it was time. And he just
2: yeah.
3: found his way up onto our bed with the rest of us. And it was just poor sweet Maddie. He his his awareness of all of it, his connection was just so sweet. But every all of the kids we had talked at Nauseam with all of them beforehand, and we we're like, We don't anticipate that it's going to be pretty. I wish I could prepare you more, but frankly, neither of us have ever witnessed right. or endured anything like this either. And so, there's only so much I could tell you. If you want to be there, we want you to be there. If you don't, we completely understand and respect that and won't ask you to or let you feel guilty for not being there. It's up to you. But unanimously, they all wanted to be there, and so they were. And we all got through it. It was surreal. It was, and other people who've been through this have kind of said the same thing. The sense of right when they pass the relief when you feel they're not fighting anymore is just overwhelming. And that sense of where did they go? (laughs) Literally,
1: it's like somebody's Um, in the room and just vanished. I mean,
3: we always that
1: right right there. The the moment he passed, it was there. It was he struggled. He didn't want to. He didn't want to leave us. He took so many last breaths, and then when he was gone it was what we were holding was not alex alex went somewhere else i
3: and the feeling of that was so strong and shared it's it's almost indescribable but it was so strange and as parents we had tried to walk through in our minds and feared right. that when they came to to get his body for the funeral home how how do you even go about that what is that like as a parent to hand your baby over to a complete stranger to take in a car and you're away from your home forever he would never come back into our home and we were so pretty emotional about that like what is that going to feel like how horrific and then when it happened, it was so strangely
1: like normal-seeming
3: because it didn't feel like it, Alex had already left that house. Yeah, like it, it just was, didn't even feel like even Alex when we were party. bathing
1: him, getting him dressed <laughs> after he had passed to, you know, prepare him for the funeral home. And
3: you knew, he, you, was you knew he was somewhere else. And you knew he was all right it, for the first time in right. a year. Or more and so there was
1: that sense too which was um well and even for the rest of the the rest of the day I mean it was evening because it was like 350 349 if I remember correctly um, you you felt this release i like oh, he's in a better place you know it then when you go to bed that night,
3: that night. <laughs> it all said in and it's those quiet nights, like that first one, the you human who woke up to be crying, the nights are tough. But um, all in all, like the entire experience kind of from start to finish. And as soon as he passed, our thoughts were, we're gonna keep his legacy up. He fought hard and he did it with a smile the whole time. Uh-huh. He did it for us. We were there for him and all of the generosity, everything that people did for us.
1: Oh man. Like, I don't know yeah. how we would have been able to do it without the community we have here yeah. in Augusta. And even like the community online that yeah, supported us.
3: Online support. Continuous support. and like, all of it. But it just makes you realize that no matter your age or who you are, what you are, we, everybody's going to die sometime and you don't ever want to take anything for granted and any little thing that you can do to make somebody else's time more fulfilled with their family, their loved ones being in their place, whatever that is, that's what's worthwhile at the end of the day. That was when we kind of decided that would be our aim would be make the most out of what you got.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So you guys were going into detail about the Alex strong foundation and everything behind it and what it stands for. We obviously know it's for Alex. Um, but what, with that being said, you know, you guys are trying to raise awareness and with his type of cancer, it's, you know, as you guys were telling the story, there's not enough um, out there about it. I mean, you hear about it, but there's not, when it comes to finding the right treatments and, you know, the research articles, it's very limited. So um, yeah. So tell us about the foundation and what you got, you know, what, what's the goals behind it? We obviously know it's to keep Alex's story al- alive and afloat, but what else? So
1: when we originally start out, our first goal was to get play mats up at the hospital because the first visit they had play mats and second visit somehow the play mats were gone so here you are with a you
3: know not walking one, 12 month old yeah
1: and who has lines
3: coming out of every
1: everywhere monitors And you have, you can put them in a crib, you could sit in a chair, or you could sit on an uncomfortable- Sleeper
3: sofa thing.
1: Sleeper sofa (laughs) thing.
3: And at the time, like once you're out of initial diagnosis, you're in a smaller room typically. And for somebody his age, they don't usually put the bed, it's the crib, and you can't really sit in there with him. So you're kind of stuck with the chair or the sleeper sofa thing. And so we really liked and
1: she bought a mat.
3: Yeah, I bought a mat online that we could bring with us because we enjoyed having the mat being able to sit down there, stretch, work out if he fell asleep, whatever. Yeah. And And he can have a place to play and crawl since he wasn't walking and he can't play in bed all day. So we decided that we reflected back on like what made life possible. The first two things that kind of popped to mind were his mat Cause anytime, like if we thought it was a rule out less than 24 hour minutes to the hospital, we could get by without it. But as soon as we thought we were getting kept longer than that, it was like, get the mat. Yeah. And
1: then, um, even though it sucked, bring it through the hospital. It and you look so ridiculous.
3: During <laughs> the tube. Like,
1: cause it, it was like, what
3: it's s- like a yoga mat on steroids, yeah. like six foot.
1: But it had like a, and- a bag and, and just throw it over my shoulder <laughs> <laughs> People are giving you strange looks, and, but anyway.
3: <laughs> go. But it was it was worth it, and totally. so we decided that would be a huge thing for us to be able to provide that we know the hospital doesn't consistently have now, and then, and especially like we were set to find one that was like a better quality, comfortable for kids to play on and parents to sit on, and able to be wiped up because obviously <coughs> with a kid with immune compromised status with chemotherapy. We always call them the purple top wipes, but the wipes that say, not for babies and have like this big symbol (laughs) of no, don't eat it. Don't let your baby get to it. Or just bathing everything you own in those during diagnosis and in the hospital room and at home and everywhere. So like we need to find a mat that can easily be wiped down and just clean. So we um, found the mat that we found and gathered the company that makes that mat that I had eyeballed previously was willing to work with us. That was kind of our first project and we got them at a discounted rate for the organization to be able to provide and they were willing to kind of work with us and team up um, and coffee was another big one from the outset. We didn't know initially how we were going to go about getting coffee into the hospital or exactly what that was going to look like and I guess in some ways it's still somewhat of an anomaly but
2: yes. we've made some progress yes. and
3: it's just weird because that hospital doesn't have a lot Many hospitals will have like a Starbucks or something within the hospital. Ours did not, it had McDonald's, which was terrible and broken <laughs> 90% of the time. Um, and that was it. Otherwise there was just some crummy coffee machines here and there. So we were like, it's hard to get by a day, stuck in a hospital room, looking at the same walls with no relief and him going through all this treatment and being and here all time and fussy.
1: You're trying to think straight.
2: You just and need so, coffee.
1: So, <laughs> like, the only thing that's going to help that, well, it was more like this. You, it sucks. Just hang us down. And then you get your cup of coffee, and you're like, oh, okay.
3: It sucks. Just it's time to works. get to work. <laughs> time to
1: deal with the things. Yeah. yeah. Huh? Uh,
3: so, those were kind of two of our things. And then we, Ryan, uh, Chris so and Ryan... Ryan
1: at 1440 Coffee Roasters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So one of his brand ambassadors, I think. I don't even remember who. <laughs> it might have been like Fit Mama to Strong Girls. Oh, Shelly? Yeah I, yeah, I think it was Shelly. Yeah. Reached out to me and I was like, hey, 1440 wants to sponsor. Oh, Luke. Hold on, we're going to... We're going to send Luke to a little mama Charlie. So Charlie <laughs> reaches out to me and it's like, Hey, 1440 wants to sponsor Alex strong for the month of, I think it was October. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, oh, sweet. Yeah. And I was like, and you know, what's crazier we have been wanting to find a coffee, somebody to help us get coffee into the hospital. And so I started I got Ryan's contact info, or he contacted me, or one of the two. And we, after talking on the phone like the first time, we were just like instant bros, and <laughs> it's like, hey man, we're on the same page, and it blew up from there. Let's
3: make it an official bromance.
2: I mean, right? And <laughs> all. Right. all. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yes. <laughs>
3: yeah just
2: the g-i-f oh my
1: gosh yeah our text conversations with all the gifts (laughs) but anyway so that kind of you know morphed into what it is now and we um now we have alex strong roast which is amazing it's like a good all-around coffee and you know, when you buy a bag of that, it goes to, I think $2 of it goes to help our cause. And what we have is the, the beans. So instead of like having that money, he uses that money to send us the beans, like he'll roast Mm -hmm. them. And so I'll get like these three pound, four pound bags of coffee. And, you know, there were, sometimes I'll bring up hot coffee, and like, you know, the to-go containers yeah. and stuff. Um, but what we do now is we, he sends those big bags, we grind them up, and we put them in little bags. And we bring them up to the hospital so the patients there can going to have their little bag of grounds, fresh grounds, like I'm talking like 24 hours, not even. And then we give them arrow presses, so they can make a good cup of coffee yeah. in their hospital room.
0: That is awesome.
1: So that's been really great. And then this month we have the Go Gold Roast, which is like a honey processed coffee. So honey, oh. gold. Um, and it's <laughs> Luke's touching me. It. <laughs> uh, it's really good. Like I had it for the first time, the last this past weekend, so. And and it
0: sounds good. <laughs> He's so cute. <laughs>
1: but yeah, that uh, uh, our friendship, partnership, uh, bromance, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's been a blessing. And uh, Ryan is amazing. If you all haven't had the chance to buy some of his coffee, uh, it's kind of one of those things we were uh, joking literally today. And I was like, yeah, we need to send the, that free bag of coffee that somebody won with a... Uh, it was like, you buy a ticket last week, you're entered in the a raffle. raffle. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the winners was a friend who lives down the street. I was like, oh, she just wanted me to send it to me. And I'll grind it and stuff. And they're not like really big coffee snobs. Oh. And... I'm like, hey Ryan, we're gonna give them the free stuff, and then they're gonna get hooked. They're like, <laughs> it's like a, you're like a drug dealer, you know? You're like, I'm gonna give them the good free stuff, and then, then they're asking for more. They're like, oh, I need some money. <laughs> oh my <Okay>. gosh. <laughs> yeah, but that's what happened with our other friends too. I'm like, this. Is yeah, thing. that's how it works. <laughs>
3: yeah. People bought bags to support Alex Strong and to support us, and then after they bought one, they're like that is some seriously good They couldn't go back. And then (laughs) they find themselves buying more bags, Uh which we greatly appreciate. That's one of our facets. Other things, like a lot of the small things, like we kind of started at the outset, trying to, like some days there's no crayons or they'll have these off brand name, terrible. You get a four pack in a restaurant, (laughs) crayons for kids in in the hospital. (laughs) So um, we made it a point to kind of get nice quality products that the kids can use and have more variety the, our kids helped us put those into packaging and things because we ordered them in bulk and so they helped us put them together and put stickers on there we've done a lot of that a lot of um coloring books and even like
1: notebooks
2: and blank
3: notebooks and so the kids can just draw right whatever journal. journal adult note coloring book. we've also done we've taken a stand and tried to really promote a lot of blood drives in our community as well as the greater community help some other kiddos at our hospital with cancer when they wanted one set up to get some set up in their honor as well in their area because that's important like transfusion are life-saving not even just literally but figuratively like the change in demeanor and happiness and everything when somebody who needs it gets a transfusion is just phenomenal. And it makes those limited days you might have so much better. You can really appreciate the day. So that was another...
1: I uh, want to say this too about the blood donations. Like, you haven't done it. I know it's kind of scary. Nobody wants to get stuck with a needle. And all the things, you can come up with millions of excuses. But when you're done you know that you did a super good thing like mm-hmm. you you're a hero like you literally saved three lives right. just by going to donate blood and you know, they can't they can't make it in a in a lab mm-hmm. that comes from you so and with
3: covid and everything like that too Blood shortages have been on a whole new level, so it's been a very relevant time as well to promote that. So that's been kind of another thing that is,
1: yeah. We've had a blood drive every eight just about every eight weeks at our kids' school. Yeah, it's,
3: we've done one at the kids' school, we promote the one that goes to their church, we'll helped our- a couple people some of theirs. We're doing our second at the children's hospital, yeah, and <coughs> for that one, the Love the Bank actually reached out to us and said does Alec from be interested in helping sponsor one for September back at the Children's Hospital so we were like yes absolutely so we're doing that
2: with them. Um, trying to like there's
1: always something that you're doing
3: Yeah,
1: you forget like everything that's going on you know <laughs> yeah, we,
2: have cool. so we have the
1: butterfly so we had a fun walk and butterfly release in town Um that's on Saturday. So the walk is to honor the kids who are fighting and also bring awareness. <clears throat> so you're going to walk a fun walk. So like walk, it's a mile and a half.
3: It's a short walk. It's, a, it's a, through a nice, pretty little um, college campus nearby. And it's short enough that just about anyone can do it. Kids can bring tricycles, people can bring dogs, whatever. But throughout the walk, we have kind of set up where it's going to be. And we got giant gold ribbon and made these really pretty big, literal awareness gold ribbon. Yeah. And then we're attaching little tags to each one that's all the different diagnoses of childhood cancer. And when you get to your moms, and they're trying to put like a, a small, like five words fact about each one to kind of literally... Raise awareness because there's already on social media lots and lots and lots of postings and repostings of all the facts during yeah, September it's about the same cancer. Facts. But it's the same stuff. And to some people, well, what is cancer? What's a malignancy? Mm-hmm. What, what's a leukemia or a lymphoma? And how's that different? From I mean, even
1: when you've been through it, though, still. A solid
3: tumor. And even when you've been through it, it's like you know more of the jargon and some of it makes sense. So there's still lots that go, oh, good Lord, I gotta look that up before I pretty much about it. So we put those along the walk and then we're trying to decide beyond the diagnoses what else we'll include Saturday. We're getting it together. And then after the walk, um, they'll come back at our kids' schools across from this college campus and they've offered to let us utilize the playground to have everyone gather and we'll do a tribute to those who have passed from childhood cancer and we have a butterfly release and everybody who bought a ticket got a butterfly. Then, so they'll have
1: an envelope and then inside the envelope the a butterfly and we'll all we'll like, we haven't decided what we're going to say, somebody's going to say something, have a moment of silence, and then we'll all open the envelopes at once and kind of help your butterfly. So do its thing.
0: Um, that's amazing.
3: And then aside from that, we got... A friend who has DJ equipment coming to do music, and so that we can announce things, we have some work friends coming to do face painting. Kind of and like face
2: painting.
3: Yeah, it's like a <laughs>
1: COVID-friendly, face COVID-friendly face painting.
3: COVID-friendly so face painting. Something We got really
1: long
2: paintbrushes.
3: Six <laughs> And then they're Six doing. Eight. They're <laughs> to like a little um, art project so that hopefully all the kids who attend the event will make something that then. <clears throat> Can be taken up to the hospital to decorate the halls or clinic or somewhere. And um, so, yeah, it'll just be kind of a fun little hangout. Plus or minus a foam party.
1: Oh,
0: man. <laughs> Our kids. Oh, yeah. So got she a bought foam a foam machine.
1: machine. Have you seen
0: those? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that thing's awesome you got one <laughs> no but one of our friends does oh. <laughs> there, and even the little
3: fisher price one i am like enamored with how how well it works for what it is we um, tested it out
1: the other day small, and,
3: small bloodshed but it's all good, all so good. We,
1: we don't know if we're going to use that at the at the event
3: i think that's when you have your adolescents, preteens diving into it and One felt targeted by the other. It got rough. But overall, they thought that it was fantastic. And so we might take that up there too and just do kind of some hodgepodge things for the kids. And we hope that next year we'll do something similar and continue to have Alex's Memorial Workout and this event and then do our little things throughout the year as time goes on and continue and see where we grow. The current events that we're doing, where we started off doing kind of all the little things, This is a big step into doing more of the big things. Although when it comes back to it, a lot of it has to do with the inherent message we got that was, thank goodness for all the time we had at home together without. So our hospital here got a new director for the cancer program and they're trying to bring a bone marrow transplant unit, which is huge. All the stress we went through, thinking we were going to Atlanta or Sloan Kettering. Um, Of course, we never got there. But this, we, we know how stressful and we were prepared for how bad that particular segment of treatment was going to be and see going through that part and separated by distance, by miles, by only phone calls. That's one of the toughest things for families, for marriages, for siblings, for grandparents, for everybody. So to have tr- more treatment that's just standard status quo cancer treatment, so many diagnoses benefit from bone marrow transplant. And so we would love to see this um, get here successfully and get here quickly. I don't if Chris ran off to it. sounded like they were just eating papers. <laughs> um, but that's, so we are joining with another very successful group that has raised a lot of money after their son fought and beat uh, cute myeloid leukemia years ago, and he is now in college. So he's doing very well and their organization with some other parents um, has been quite successful in funding research that seems like it's really on a good trajectory to be a benefit to different diagnoses. And right now they're putting money towards this bone marrow transplant unit. And so we're finally kind of appreciating the better together feeling. And uh, we're gonna put all of the proceeds from the current September childhood cancer awareness Back into getting this transplant unit for our own
0: home community you guys are making such a big difference <laughs> um, it, it, it 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 takes it takes individuals like you guys to it's hard to mourn the loss of a child I can't I can't even fathom I can't even wrap my head around it but to get to put one foot o- you know after the other and just say what can we do to keep him alive but what to keep his spirit alive to keep his memory alive but what else can we do to support others support other people that might be going through it you know um and, and that's that's huge like you guys do it every day though and I was telling your husband before we started recording it's amazing to me the community you've built to on social media like I my mom had asked me who my guest was and when I told her she goes I know who that is cause she's a street parking member. She goes, I've seen him on street parking and I've seen him on Miranda's page. <laughs> so it's like, and she, and for the record, she's not a big social media person, but she knew exactly who I was talking about. So it is impact. He is impacting lives. You guys are impacting lives. And so even just thinking about you know, who my next guest was going to be. And I was like, you know, I'm going to go out on limb here and I'm going to ask them because I think it's important for people <laughs> to know, you know, your guys' a story, but you know, the face, you know, the story behind Alex is everybody sees the lion, yeah. everybody sees his face, but there's more there. And what you yeah. guys are doing, you know, you guys are impacting the lives of others and letting other people know too, like this life is so short. And, oh, you know, yeah. I, I talk, I was reading 10% happier. And um, he talks about the one thing that we all have in common is insecurity because this life isn't secured. And you guys hit on that earlier, Aaron, because it's the little moments that matter the most. It's the little moments that mm-hmm. make the difference and really putting a smile on somebody else's face and trying to make a difference and making the world better than you found it. And you guys are doing just that. And honestly, I love what you guys do. I love what you guys are doing the community, but I had asked Chris this before um, the recording, how, because I'm amazed of your strength. I, 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 sometimes I'll sit there and I'm like, I don't, I, I can't even imagine. Right. But the fact that you guys also, you know, shared your journey as, you know, on social media, did that in a way help? Because I, like I asked Chris, I was like, as human beings, you know, sometimes having the support of other people, you don't even have to know them in person, but that kind of makes you feel your heart a little fuller during times of, of, of worry, uh, of even mourning. But, you know, how has that impacted your guys' life and sharing your story? It's a good question. That's, there's a loaded
3: question with lots of different answers. We were, um, when you're confronted with something like this, lots of people turn to social media and put their child's story out there. Some keep it very private and some are in between. During the Team Alex phase, when it was his page, we, I wasn't even on social media didn't have Instagram, didn't do Facebook for years. So I was like, help. I don't even know where to begin, but so many of our friends, family, even the street parking support Chris had, people were all over the place. And how do you keep everyone up to speed? Right, exactly. Social media. So it was very necessary for that, almost even to alleviate that burden of text messages, phone calls. Yeah, because everybody wants to
1: know where...
3: And you want them in the Where go. are you at in your journey, Journey. where's he at? How's he doing? Is there anything you need? How can we help? And so it was a really good way to centralize all of that. But the nature of my work, um, I did not want it on social media so broadly that we had like multi-thousand followers at the time we're going through everything. And so we kept it where we finally decided Facebook page was probably the way to start and to go for this. And we would do the updates And we would also have to be the approvers of anybody who wants to join the page. And so we made it somewhat of a a group where we didn't like deny anybody unless they looked like one of those fake accounts. (laughs) But it gave us a little bit of control to know that our story wasn't just like literally everywhere. Right. I think it was the right balance because then the people who request to join that page and follow you really have an interest in knowing you and knowing about your child they have that empathy of that seeing your people in your faces and wanting to feel that with you and support you um i think there's a a point where if you have so much following in the midst of the battle and when people's curiosity is peaked and you sort of always turn to that and wonder how many likes did that get or this get or that and all of a sudden couple months after your child's passed and you post something and it's old news I think social media has to be cautioned because mm-hmm. I, there's a lot of people where I worry that they'll find themselves in that kind of position when they've made it such a huge I mean there's some of these cases that we follow and all watch where they'll have 20,000 likes on almost every picture. I'm like, oh my goodness yeah, did yeah. This, where does this come from? <laughs> I think a lot comes from support groups too. And we were, um, we were all involved in our family during Alex's battle. And we made a point to take all the help that we were given by everybody near and far that knew us well and less so to make it about him and us and our family so that we could make the most of what we had. And we really put up our blinders to everything else. I knew from the outset, prognostically speaking, things were not good. And we really just needed to kind of keep our eyes forward and make the most out of every day, no matter how little that would be. So that's kind of the mindset that we took. And we didn't go getting on support groups and follow a whole lot of other stories, which I think was for the best for a lot of different reasons. It's hard enough to bear the burden of your own story like that, much less to carry with you the ups and the downs and the roller coaster and heartbreak of lots of others along the way. And we follow people now, people who we want to help and, and people who our heart goes out to them because we know we've been there. But I am glad that we kind of made it all about Alex when it was Alex. Right, because
1: you know, the other thing is like, you know, when you, you want to help, you, you've been there, you're, no one kid or case is the same. Everybody, right. every it's kind of different. But you have your what happened to you, your in your right. family. And for us, every time we talk to you know, some of these families that are going through it, it's like I want them to know that I'm there and I'm sending strength and comfort, but I don't want to say too much.
2: Right.
1: I don't want to worry you in a way that you don't need to be worried. You know, I just want you to know that anything you need I'll cover, you know, we'll be there, yeah. but you always, like, I always worry about, like, oh my gosh, I hope I don't say too much, you yeah. know, or did I say something that, you know, would they take it the wrong way? And, right. Because we were on the, the, the losing end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So no matter what, it's like,
3: it's our a- optimism can only be appreciated so far. <laughs> yeah. Somebody who's going through it now and they don't want our outcome. Right. And I don't blame them. When when moms like me now had reached out to me when it was us, I was like, oh, and I'd be like, oh, I, I really enjoy her, but eh, I need a little distance. I don't want that to be my story. Right. And right. so you just kind of figure out what's a healthy boundary of social media, of people reaching out who are, who have been there, done this versus not, versus all these things. And you kind of have to learn as you go. Nobody gave you the manual to having a child with cancer or navigating pediatric cancer diagnoses. (laughs) Um, and I think all in all we were fairly methodical and there's nothing of a change about the way we did things. And now our vulnerabilities aren't what they were.
2: Right.
3: Our story is told, it's out there, it's yep. been played. And now the rest of our story is to be seen is all about what we wanna make of it through Alex Strong. Yeah. So now I don't have the apprehension about being on social media and having everything out there so much. But at the time you do, and you also, there's a lot of people who offer words that can get twisted when they're posted on a, a mm. board. You don't know what was really intended or how that hits. Cause I've heard lots of people have the experience where somebody says something and they probably most people mean well but you don't necessarily know the family well enough to know what you're saying or how that's going to be taken makes it hard so i think it's a lot easier now on this side of it to really appreciate our social media following and
1: hitting on a part of the question a part of your question that you asked now like and after Alex passed and we started Alex Strong Foundation and we started it was like right away that September we have his memorial wad and seeing people do the workouts and knowing that they're there for you was it was huge and special like special is probably the better word and it was Kind of healing.
3: Um, I mean it is, it's incredible because it fulfills that sense of we want him to live on. We want his story, his the virtues he taught us, the lessons, all of that to live on. And when you see whether it's your social media following and people liking things or doing the workouts or participating in things all are reaching out because they want to help you any which way they can offer what they do. All of those things kind of underscore exactly what we wanted. And that was to never lose Alex in the midst of all of this and to do anything we can to help make this experience better for other people, no matter what that outcome might be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you guys are doing it. Um, I think your, your vulnerability is, um, it moves mountains. And I say it all the time during different moments of stories I listen to, but vulnerability moves mountains. And for a lot of us, it's a hard thing to put what we've gone through, what we go through, kind of just out on this platform, whether it be social media or with other people, or, you know, building a foundation because there's there's moments in that story where you felt broken that you might have tried to pick up the pieces and you're trying and it just keeps falling apart. It's like, you know, like what can I do? Right. But you're giving other people a voice too. You're giving a voice to the voiceless, you're giving a voice to Alex, who may not be here in form, you know, in human form, but he's still here and you, you could, you could see it, you can sense it. And the presence that you guys have again on social media, and obviously the presence you guys have in, in, um, in your town and, you know, with the hospital, you guys are doing things every day to improve the lives of other people. Um, and, and it's doing justice to his name. And, you know, I, I think, I absolutely think you guys are absolutely amazing to me, Um, very inspiring and you know it's I believe it's everyday people that change the world Um, and this is just goes to justify that that you don't have to be a celebrity or someone on tv or you know a magazine to make a difference in the lives of others it's everyday people that are willing to be vulnerable willing to make that you know commitment to change the lives of others or at least impact um, and really just make this world a better place
1: vulnerability like go donate blood yeah like, right like
2: yeah.
1: that takes a lot of you gotta nobody wants like i said it's just being vulnerable and you're a hero <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Right and it's one of the and it doesn't it doesn't take long right it's like no. it doesn't take long at all it's like but it's so months.
1: scary yeah for a lot of people
0: right
3: or even the things like Be The Match, we both signed up for that too. And that's like going a whole other level. Right. But after we got really into the blood drives, we're like, you know what? Let's put our money where our mouth is or blood where our money is. I don't know what is. Yeah. So we decided let's sign up for Be The Match. And when you do that, it's like, oh my gosh, maybe nothing comes with this. It's a weird gamble. Maybe. You get a phone call in three weeks and they say, we need you to come have this major operation and procedure because it's going to be a life saving for this person. And you get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And it hurts terrible from what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's a lot Those of like, there are two types. One of them, you actually, we would have to take the injections we gave Alex that okay. make your bones so sore and ache, because they're trying to stimulate that marrow to pump out every last cell they can get into the periphery. Mm-hmm. And to think of just, it's strange to think he had to endure that just to survive, but that you would willingly do that to save another human and put yourself back through it. It's, it was, oh, it I felt kind totally, of crazy, but I would do it I'd heart
1: totally heart. do it, now. yeah.
3: And laugh about how
0: bad it is, kind of like a little right. thing.
1: Right? I got Dom's
0: from that workout. From Alex's workout. (laughs) Oh, right? (laughs) You'll be
1: fine
0: tomorrow. I'm sure I will be. Probably (laughs) not. (laughs) No, but, you know, I I think that's a big part of humanity. um, Is that willingness to save another person. And I wish I could. Right now is the time where we need to see more of that. I think sometimes we forget, we forget as a as not just like like a nation, but as a world entirety entirely that we forget that you know being united and putting a smile on your neighbor's face, doing the little things. Yeah, we all are connected, and uh, yeah. You say hi. Hi, (laughs) hi. You're a superstar. (laughs) (laughs) He's <laughs> <Right. laughs>
1: so cute yeah you, doing all of this and being through what we've been what we went through you really realize how connected everyone is and it's I don't know every day that I would say every day but there are a lot more times when stuff happens and you really thank you like ah. you see
3: yourself That's a handsome boy.
0: Dude.
1: That uh, you see the connections and you see that there's more, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's more than just us. It's more than just the people in your household. Like this, we are all connected and it just kind of like it, like perfect example. When you said earlier, you wrote a paper about that in college. What's, yeah. what are the odds? It's the little right. moments in time that kind of just like connect together and just fall. I mean, sometimes it's obviously not what you wanted, you know, but it's like the little moments. And it's so like, oh my gosh, like seriously, is this happening? We had so many of those
1: along the way. It was incredible.
0: Well, I mean, like, this is one of them right
3: here. We, the day or when we found out that Alex's cancer had spread to his. Leptomeninges and was diffuse throughout the CNS and essentially not treatable. Um, it was like one week we had the bad in my the next week we found out about the neural spread, and the following week we find out that I'm pregnant with Luke, and it was like. Such a whirlwind and so stressful and not not exactly anticipated. We were undergoing so much stress. I was in Colombia so much we we're like we're not even sure how this happened. And sure enough, there he was. And we find out basically in the same time within the same couple weeks that we find out Luke's on the way, we find out that the reality of Alex leading us is more real and inevitable than it had been to date. So it was just strange. And then we had said many times during the pregnancy, if this turns out to be a boy, if this turns out to be a little boy with red hair and blue eyes, we'll just, because at at that point in time, we only had with the five, three of our boys were all um, like Chris, dirty blonde hair, grayish blue eyes. And we had one daughter who's got the bright red and light blue eyes like Alex. And, Uh We just did not expect Luke to wind up being <laughs> no. the redhead. We're like, um. oh. And then when we did the side by side comparisons of his newborn photos, it was like, oh my gosh. Uh, so uncannily similar. Yes.
2: Yeah.
3: And it just seemed like one of those where he was probably kind of meant to be that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the timing was tough and it was yeah. not easy. Going through all those motions last year. I don't even know how we did it.
1: Uh, You know, you yeah, think about it. it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we did it. But
3: it just seems when you look You do at it again.
1: It, you do it again in a heartbeat.
2: To, yeah. to, mm-hmm. to
3: and just see him, be you, with him, to, Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And even Alex being with us such a short time. Sucks horribly. But everything happens. For some reason, and the reason for that in this lifetime, I don't expect that I will ever fully understand, but we know that the only way we can make it worth it here in this life for what we can understand is to use everything he taught us to make a difference. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I love that. So with the Alex Strong Foundation, I know we have this wad going on right now horrible terrible wonderful (laughs) no it it, it, it's it's obviously it's it's perfect um it's the right amount of really tapping in and just grinding (laughs) it out um okay so then you have some other wads along the way but for those listening right now are they able to do this wad all year long is that something that you know you guys are like wanting to do or you guys are like just gonna catch you know put wads out like specifically like for a certain time of the year
1: um, we're going to have some workouts throughout the year they're not going to like I, we want this to be the big one of the year you know right. the, um, and I also want chemo to be a big event not, not as big as this but just another big event and workout and that's like six months from now. I think we had it spaced okay. out. Um, and we might do little ones here and there. Uh, I haven't quite come up with a plan.
0: <laughs> and, and I'm putting on the spot, huh? And then the raffles, are we going to have some more raffles? Like, so, okay, that,
1: so I have more stuff for raffles. Okay. But, you know, I'm kind of trying to find out if people are raffled out you know, like, I don't want to throw all these raffles at once and then be like, all I right. spent all my money. I don't, I, you know, I don't <laughs> I'm not ready for another one. So whether I postpone it to, like, November, the next one. Because we have this. So my buddy, Brian, who lives in Ireland, he went to – before COVID, when we were Team Alex, he went to some event – some CrossFit event and he ran into who's the YouTuber that uh, uh, he's like, kind of like media, but he's not the buttery bros. He, I don't know. Anyway, obviously I don't watch a lot of CrossFit. I don't know either. <laughs> but anyways, so he found a guy who knows all, all the people, all the athletes and mm-hmm. The guy took. Here, I'll get it for you. Alex's his his team. Alex shirt and got it signed by. Oh, that is so cool. Paul Tremblay. Uh, gosh, there's a lot of them. I think Rory McKernan's on here. Sam Briggs. Uh, that is
0: so cool.
1: Kristen Holt, Jen Smith, Sarah Sigmund's daughter. Um, I think Tommy Marquez, but yeah, there's a lot on here and we were gonna do a raffle for this, but I thought this might be something that's cool for the beginning of November so somebody can get this Christmas present for somebody. you know oh like,
0: that's cool, right? Yeah,
1: um but you know, I still try to decide or maybe I should, do it in September because Team Alex is September, you know?
0: There you go. But and then people can donate all year long, right? We're so
1: gonna do a birthday wad, but I don't I'm just gonna ask people to donate. I'm not gonna have them sign up, but you know, because he has a birthday workout. Um gosh, I can't even remember all the things that are in it. It's tough, but it's kind of a fun one. Uh because he liked gymnastics he liked hanging from the rings and know
3: wasn't more like a chipper, like a, I don't know. I, after starting fellowship and driving to and from Columbia, I used to work out in our garage in the olden days and do a lot of the CrossFit at-home workouts with Chris. I have not been able to consistently work out now in over two years, so we shall see. Time will tell. (laughs) It's always a goal. Well,
1: I had a movement where it was like a toes to bar and then a pull up because you have... A lot of kids, when they're playing on the rings, mm. what's the first thing they do? They stick their toes yep.
0: through the ring. Yep. My daughter does the same thing.
1: Right? So it was like a toes through rings and then a pull-up was one rat. Um, I think I called it like, I can't remember. See, I, I'm terrible. I should know all this stuff.
0: You know, my, that makes sense. <laughs> Palace think about. It. <laughs> but people can uh, donate all year long, right?
1: Right. Yeah. You go to our website, okay. yeah. uh, AlexStrongFoundation.com. Right. Uh, donate buttons right there. You can buy. We have a lot of t-shirts. We have a baseball team that's really cool. Really super cool. Super comfy. And then this hat that I'm wearing is a trucker hat. Yeah, we got all kinds of swag. I and like my swag.
3: The website will always, anytime he does put out a new workout, so if he gets a wild hair and come Thanksgiving, we're gonna do a work off your turkey Alex workout, then he'll put a banner up. So if you visit the site periodically, yeah, like, or when he puts on Instagram and social media that something new's up there, it'll come up very easy for the yeah, registration. Yeah, like I always card. try to.
1: You know how when you go to like, say you're shopping and you go to the website and they be like fifteen percent off, like right as you click. Yeah. So yeah. I do like <laughs>
2: the banners.
1: The banners yeah. like boom, can't miss it. Shout out for Alex Strong workout,
0: <laughs> Oh, I love it.
3: He's like, is this too much? <laughs> he was like bannering everything. Well, <laughs> because,
1: you know, people want day. to know how to. To sign up, but if you make it right. difficult, yeah, it's, they, but, yeah, then they're like, you know, ah, okay, later, it, maybe you know, later, yeah, right, and then maybe yeah. later never happens. And, yeah,
0: you know. exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're having
3: periodic things that through social media and being on the website. Um, One so, thing
1: that I really want to do is, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. Is you know how a lot of foundations or uh, they do like. X number of push-ups every day for one month, or
0: yeah. You should burpees, do that.
1: You know, something like that that's different than a workout because some people don't want to do workouts all the time, you know?
0: Like and that does work because even during the pandemic, a lot of us street parking moms did that and we would just yeah. tag each other. And right. it went on, I felt like forever. Yeah. <laughs> and cause yeah. people don't get bored of it because they're like, Oh, I got tagged. Oh man, okay. Yeah. Then I gotta go do my, my push or whatever, or my burpees, yeah. It's like, okay, like people, when, you know, when we feel called out and then some people get like FOMO and they're like, oh, yeah. I want to do it too. So, I mean, it does work.
3: <laughs> that's it. But what,
0: that's a point. So yeah.
3: that that's might be a good idea. There.
0: Yeah. But yeah. I will add all, all the links will be in the synopsis and the listeners know, you guys know too, that in the bottom of the description, I always put all the links. So I'll have every link on there. Um, your guys' you shop, better. your website. Uh, the Alex strong workout, (laughs) but I'll, I'll add all that. That way they can have direct links to you guys. And then you're at Alex strong. What is it? Foundation on IG. Do you guys have any other social media platforms where they can follow you guys? Or is IG your main?
1: IG is the main one that I'm on. We have a Facebook page. Uh, It's it's Alex strong foundation. That's
3: a Facebook page. I think.
1: Right. Okay. I can't remember the actual like web, the address for it. But yeah, it's just Alex Strong Foundation. Okay. There, there's like two that show up, but you'll know ours. Yeah. Like if yeah. you search Alex Strong Foundation. Um,
0: right.
1: What else? Yeah. Actually, we we took like all of your time for like.
0: Oh. Yeah. I don't coach soccer till later. <laughs>
1: so. I look at the clock. I'm like, wow.
0: Um, I did, I did want to ask you because I asked all the listeners and I'm, I'm not going to make this episode any different in, in regards to this question, but is there a quote? Is there a phrase? Is there a scripture that keeps you going that you would want to share with the listeners listening? I feel like quotes is one of that thing that we can really all um, play off of. Like we can connect in that way. Um, like the words, words mean so much to us, right? They, you know, they tell a story. Um, I guess uh,
1: there's, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, how does it go, yesterday is history, today, basically, today is a
3: gift,
1: gift. and tomorrow is a mystery or something, right? Yes. Today is a gift, but it goes, yesterday is history, Yes, yester- tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. <laughs>
2: the
3: and that's where I the really, today is a gift came from. Yeah. And just, that's sort of that thing where like you could be up in the worst day ever, but you saw Somewhere in today, there is silver lining. Today is a gift. Yep, there's find, always something. You find that light at the end of the tunnel. And our Facebook post, that's kind of the other thing, that if somebody were to go back to our Team Alex
2: page, I think
3: it's still... I left it active. I almost closed it down, but I didn't because I thought you never know when it might be helpful to somebody else. But right. the posts we put up are so different than a lot of the ones that we follow now because we would truncate it a lot. Like I don't like to sit down long enough to read a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. Is that how we sat down and talked this long, I'm not sure. But <laughs> um, so we would do much briefer posts on Facebook and highlight the big things. And always, they almost always end with optimism and, like, the silver lining. And it could be, like, worst day ever, which felt like many days. But we would still always, at the end of the day, find something about that day that was, like, there's where you hang your hat on.
1: It, It goes, like, even if you're not battling childhood cancer, you're having the worst day ever.
3: Right.
1: If you look at it, there's at least one good thing that happened every day.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, there's probably a lot more good than bad that happened, but we just perseverate on the bad. (laughs) Right,
0: right. It's the moments of gratitude. Like there's gratitude in every day in the smallest thing. Like maybe, you know, the fresh water on your face. It's like the smallest little thing. Um, But if we look at it in that way, life is a lot brighter. Life is a lot more meaningful. So and connectedness
1: yeah. and all of the things, you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Is there anything else you guys would like to share <laughs> or like to say to the listeners?
1: Thank you. If you're still listening, <laughs> <laughs>
3: and I hope you don't have an hour and a half long commute that you're <laughs> utilizing <laughs> this podcast, but appreciate um, people listening, um, people
1: we, supporting. We, Appreciate all the support and everything that everyone's done for us, continues to do for us. It's amazing. Never would have expected us to be where we are now one year later, um, being having as big a footprint as we've made. Um, and it's all because of y'all. I mean, truly. Couldn't help the people out help these families
3: out without you so
0: that's true well well, i thank you guys for taking time uh thank you for allowing me to take away your two hours of your day (laughs) if that or longer um but really time is a gift uh another person's time is as a gift because that's something you cannot get back so uh, i appreciate guys being on here for sharing alex's story because there's always more to a picture right we see it you know, we feel empathy and we're like, oh man, like my heart breaks. But when yeah. you really take the time to listen to the story at the very end, you find gratitude in your own life, even on your worst days. Um, because even though we were not promised tomorrow, like you said, we can find goodness in today. Today, today is a gift. Um, if we wake up in the morning and our feet hit the ground, consider yourself lucky, consider yourself privileged um, because we're only given one life. And so we got to make the best of it while we're here and with each other. So, yeah. So I thank you guys. I thank you guys for listening, love and support, continue to support the Alex strong foundation. Um, I'm going to get off here and chat with them for just a second. And, um, but let me drop you guys some discount codes. All right, guys, we got first form. If you guys don't know, I am an advisor on the first form app so head on over to the android or apple store download the app and you can add me as your advisor using email desiree at selfloveeffect.com let's get you going on your nutrition on your fitness goals but most importantly your m- mentality right with those mental goals that mindset shift let's get you going let's get you signed up and you can also head on over check out their supplements any questions you might have please let me know I am here for you. Um, But we got the link directly for supplements is in the bio. Now, Born Primitive, and I cannot wait because this month we are launching our Halloween apparel. So stick around and follow them on Instagram because the design's are amazing and they were my favorite last year but get yourself also the summer collection is still available and i absolutely am in love with that so you can use the code in the synopsis and also the link in my bio to save you 10 percent off at checkout that link automatically applies that discount code for you any issues please let me know and i will get that taken care of for you Head on over to Wad and Done. Save your hands, save your grips, and stop tearing. Take care of your hands; they love you. You gotta love them back. Head on over Wad and Done. Follow them also on Instagram, and you can use, you can save using discount code Treasures10 and Maven Threads. If you love headbands, not only during your workouts but also to wear them around town, you can head on over give them your support and use discount code self love effect 15 at checkout last but not least head on over to our self dot shop, get yourself some new self love t-shirts, sweaters. Um, we got our new Halloween apparel drop that just launched last week. But save using discount code selfloveeffect.com. And lastly, you guys, if you guys have any questions, any input that you would like to give me, you can let me know um, through social media or give me, uh, send me a message uh, uh, by email at Desiree at selfloveeffect.com. And again, please like, subscribe if you have not done so already, share the podcast, leave it review. That's how we get to the top. That's how other people get to see us. So I love you guys. I hope you guys have an amazing rest of your week and I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.